We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just wanna say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to the Sorted Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be taking a look at 1981's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, that's right. I didn't say Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Written by Lawrence Kasdan and directed by Steven Spielberg. Here's a clip. For nearly 3,000 years, man has searched for the lost Ark of the Covenant. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. The Ark, if it is there, Atanis, then it is something that man was not meant to disturb. It is protected by forces beyond imagination. It is desired above all treasures on earth by those who are good, trust me, and those who are evil. I'll tell you everything. Yes, I know you will. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Let her go. If you still want the Ark, it has been loaded onto a truck for Cairo. Raiders of the Lost Ark. A film from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. That was a clip from Steven Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know. Some people say Steven Spielberg and George Lucas's. I prefer to think of this more as Steven Spielberg. We might be able to get into that later in the podcast. Uh, joining me to talk about this fantastic action film is Ricky D. 
What's up, Patrick? Fantastic, amazing, incredible. One of the best movies ever made. I mean, it's been like, yeah, this is this movie's gotten deserved all the accolades it's gotten. Uh, but we're still going to talk about it anyway because it's the, the anniversary of it. Uh, also joining us to talk about this movie, and I don't really know where he stands on this movie. Sometimes he's hard to figure out in these things, is Simon Howell. Hello. Where do you stand on Raiders, Simon? Uh, you know, I, personally at least, uh, I hadn't watched this in quite a while. Um, I'd, I'm sure at some point in the last decade I sat down and watched uh, the whole, at least the whole original trilogy again, I can't imagine that I watched uh, Crystal Skull more than once. Um, You're missing out, buddy. Oh, am I? Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a topic for another day, I guess. I was trying to tell Rick, the first half of that movie's not bad, it's the second half that people remember as being the train wreck. Um, I don't know. Raiders of the Lost Ark is, like, objectively a good movie. Uh, I, I don't, objectively doesn't, doesn't really make sense. Um, it's you know, objectively a good movie. It has a tremendous place in film history, a uh, major place in Spielberg's filmography. But um, I don't know. For me personally, I just can't see it as a go-to uh, Spielberg fave only because uh, I just feel like every aspect of it has been, uh, at this point, recycled, uh, memed, or uh, ripped off elsewhere to death um, over all the intervening years. I feel like just as a result of that, it's lost some of its freshness for me. I don't think that makes it a bad movie or like, you know, something that people can't enjoy. I mean, people obviously still watch and enjoy this, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's lost some of its luster for me over the years just due to overexposure. But I mean, it's obviously a good movie. Like, no, no one's going to come out and say it's bad. Well, Rick picked this movie for this week. I was a little surprised by it because we generally haven't gone for like massive blockbusters. By the way, I was pleasantly surprised because I, I, I'm a big, big fan of Raiders. Um, always have been since little kid. I, I had Star Wars, or I had Raiders of the Lost Ark little action figures instead of Star Wars toys. I didn't really care about Star Wars when I was a kid. Um, Wait a minute, you had the action figures? I still have, as a matter of fact, my Indiana Jones action figure, the original 1981 Indiana Jones Kenner action figure, and I still have the box. Now, I did not, obviously I took him out of the box, but back then you didn't have ways of like rewatching a movie, so I held onto the box because it has pictures from the movie. And I love the wow. movie so much, I just wanted to look at the pictures. So I still have the box and the action figure because Indiana Jones is my greatest uh, or my favorite movie character of all time. Wow. The action figures are so hard to get. Even when they were released, like I, I watched this whole YouTube video on it and there was specific characters where they did not produce enough of those characters. That is amazing. Belloc. I wish I had Belloc. He would have been the... Hmm. All I had was indie. So, Rick, you picked this movie. Uh, what what was uh, the impetus behind picking this? Well, we recorded a Indiana Jones special with Simon, by the way. You were on that show, so you did watch all three movies back-to-back, Simon. Um, unfortunately, it's one of the three episodes that we lost. It's a long story, but we lost three episodes, and the Indiana Jones episode was one of the episodes. So I'm like, you know what? Let's go and revisit Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's summertime. I'm in the mood for a summer blockbuster but the real reason why I wanted to watch, rewatch the movie and talk about it, Patrick, and you guys are going to laugh at me, but I watched about 15, 20 minutes about a week ago because it's on Netflix. I had no idea that this movie was on Netflix, right? I own the DVDs, but I was just surfing through Netflix and, you know, I'm figuring out I would sit down and watch Raiders. 
didn't finish it. Watched like the first 15, 20 minutes. And I could not help but think, because you know when you watch movies over and over, you start noticing different things. So I'm watching a movie, and of course, I'm floored by the camera work. The way Spielberg stages his actors, places his camera, the use of foregrounds and backgrounds, the silhouettes, the shadows. He's, I mean, this is a masterclass of how you shoot a film. I mean, this, Simon, I'm going to disagree. It's not a good movie. It's it's an amazing movie. It's a master masterpiece. It's, it's that good, right? But I was like floored by the camera work and the lighting. And I could not help but think that this movie would make a great silent film. Now, there's a knockout moment about an hour into the film, which features great comic timing that I think Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin would be so jealous of if they ever watched this movie. I'm talking about the scene in which Indiana Jones faces an Arab assassin who's twirling a huge blade, right? In the middle of the desert. Instead of going hand-to-hand combat with the man, as everyone expects him to do, he instead shrugs, pulls his revolver, and shoots him dead. It's like such a fantastic moment, very simple. That's just one small minor example of how it reminds me of a short film. Uh, sorry, a silent film. But the whole entire movie, I was like, man, if you actually, guys, I say this every single week on the podcast or almost every single week. I like to watch movies and turn off the sound because that's when you start noticing things visually and the images tell the story as opposed to like the dialogue. And I was like, man, it would be great if someone actually took this movie and re-edited the film, added like a soundtrack from John Williams or whoever, and it's just a silent film. And then I swear to God, I did not know this. I'm doing a bit of research this morning before we sit down to record a show. And sure enough, Steven Soderbergh recut the movie as a silent movie. So like, I mean, that's that's really the reason why I chose the film. So I was going to I was going to go on this big rant about how um what an amazing uh, what an amazing job spielberg did in shooting this film because i mean i i don't remember ever watching a hollywood blockbuster that features such amazing camera work right like the staging the framing everything about it like it's 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 like i mean off air patrick you said that spielberg's doing things that hitchcock would dream of doing and the other reason why i want to talk about this movie was because yes it's an action adventure film but it's a blend of genres. And I think that people also forget that this is a great supernatural thriller. Like it opens up like a horror film and then it's secretly disguised as a supernatural thriller. And I'm, I'm shocked that this movie is actually rated like G or PG. Well, ratings were weird back then. <laughs> they didn't mind if the hero murdered people uh, on screen, you know, in a PG movie. Because I remember when I watched this as a kid, I was actually kind of like, not scared, but grossed out, like the skeletons, mm-hmm. the rotting corpses, the snakes. It, it feels like a horror film at times. Like it is really a supernatural thriller. There's definitely elements of that. I love the, you know, when he first approaches the the idol um, in the very beginning, there's definitely this undertone, of, you know, this ominous undertone that there, there are mystical things in this world that we don't understand. And though, though the place that the idol is given on a pedestal makes it seem set apart from everything reality. And of course, obviously, there's plenty of scenes with the arc uh, where, where it turns kind of weird. That whole part with the rat, that's straight up trying to spook you, creep you out. But it kind of feels like the entire film, the arc is actually responsible for not only helping, but saving Indy throughout the whole entire film. It's the cause of specific actions that people take. Again, I feel like this is a supernatural thriller. 
as much as it is an action adventure film. Well, you could also argue that it's, you know, a physical comedy. I think that whole scene where Marion gets kidnapped and put in the basket, I mean, that's <laughs> that's straight out of a Buster Keaton movie. Exactly. That's that and that's why it feels like a blend of different genres. I mean, to the point where at times it feels like Spielberg and Lucas watch a lot of Buster Keaton Charlie Chaplin films, and at times it feels like they watch a lot of like seventies horror films. And then of course they watch a lot of those like serial uh, what do you call it? Serial films from like the 1930s, right? When I watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, I feel like a kid again, right? So I understand that there's nostalgic, sentimental emotions that overcome me when I'm watching a movie. And therefore, I'm sort of like a, a fanboy. And I can't, you know, sometimes it's hard to see the flaws in something you really love. Mm -hmm. But there are very few flaws in this movie. I'm not going to say it's perfect because no movie is perfect. But I think when it comes to the entire well, I was going to say trilogy, but I guess when 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 you when you look at all four <laughs> movies, I mean, as good as as good as Spielberg is, and th despite the fact that he's given a bigger budget, you figured that they would have an easier time making the sequels. The sequels are fine. Don't get me wrong. I, I even like Temple of Doom, but it's night and day when you compare them to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think, is a true masterpiece. D different writers, uh, or you know, play a big part. I mean. It was a William, I can't know, say his last name, Huck or Huck or whatever, and Gloria Katz wrote uh, Temple of Doom, and they were known more for comedy. So it's it's not surprising that Temple of Doom tries to be a lot zanier, uh, even though it goes super dark, too. It, it like goes to two different extremes. It, it takes the dark elements and then amplifies them, and then it takes the comedic elements and amplifies them. The, there's uh, a podcast I listened to a while back, and it's all about screenplay writing. I'm sorry, I cannot remember the name of the podcast. But anyways, if you Google it, I'm sure you can find it. Um, the host, who's a screenplay writer, he did an entire episode about Raiders of the Lost Ark. He was talking about, like, forget the, the three-act structure that we normally get in Hollywood blockbusters. This film has, like, six acts. And he was talking about how the, the way the plot is driven, like, the fact that the Ark itself is a MacGuffin, and clearly it centers around Indy, but there's this interesting parallel and relationship between Harrison Ford's character, Indy, and Paul Freeman's character, Belloc, in a sense where they're so similar that they're pretty much the same. And we see that at the end of the film when Indy has a chance to blow up the Ark and not let the Nazis have a chance to get away with the power. But he can't because like Belloc, he refuses to actually blow up what he's obsessed in finding and retrieving. Like they're so similar to two characters. Well, and they even, I mean, there's even a speech about that. Bella straight up tells them that very thing at, at that bar. Oh, yeah, movie. which, by the way, I'm sorry, that's like my, my least favorite moment in the whole, in the whole script when I, I am like a shadowy reflection of you. <laughs> you know, like, okay, buddy. We get I it. do like the moments in that bar scene where he goes into, like, oh, see this watch? I bought it for pennies on a street corner but you bury it for a thousand years it becomes priceless i do like the sort of going into archaeology and why those two are so obsessed with archaeology but you're right he gets a little too on the nose when he's like <laughs> i you and i we are the same yes uh, I, I you kind of hinted at this earlier ricky but I, I think the best reason to watch raiders of the lost ark if you haven't already seen it is just that i, I think this might be it's a tough call between this and jurassic park which is the most like shameless Spielberg blockbuster, um, but I, I think the, the the best reason to watch uh, the first indie is that he's really he's throwing in every possible different type of way to like you know there's there's elements of horror there's elements of slapstick there's elements of like really broad comedy there's 
big set pieces. It all feels, uh, you, you, you said it, uh, you mentioned that six act structure, Ricky. To me, the whole movie just feels extremely episodic. Um, I, I actually kept thinking about James Bond uh, because I feel like structurally, it's very, very similar to a James Bond film. Which um, makes sense, of course, because that was the whole purpose of, of making yeah. Raiders. So, and uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Spielberg wanted to do a James Bond movie, and Lucas said, "Hey, I got something better for you." Yeah, I mean, like the the whole the whole cold open with this other scenario in some other country, um, and then sort of meeting Bond slash Indy at like quote unquote home base with his handlers. Yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark is largely constructed of a series of action movies. You know, it's funny, we reviewed Hard Boiled like two weeks ago, and we talked about how that whole entire movie is really just three big action sequences. Raiders of the Lost Ark is like, what, 10 action sequences, like 10 action scenes, and it goes by so quick. Like, the pacing of this movie is amazing, but I mean, it is inspired by these like serial, whatever you call them, films from like the 30s. Sorry, it wasn't alive at the time, so I'm not exactly sure what, what, what it was like to watch those serials at the movie theater, although it sounds like pretty cool. But it, it does feel like a 12-part adventure serial. Like, I get what you're saying, Simon, but like it kind of feels like each and every single little action set piece can be its own little short film. And I think that's I think that was the point. Like that's exactly what Spielberg and Lucas were going for. So like the opening of the film would be the ending of the previous film, right? The previous mm -hmm. adventure. But the opening itself, like, again, going back to our discussion of Hard Boiled from two weeks ago, like I talked about how the opening of Hard Boiled is usually like it's so big, like the action set piece, there's so much going on. And it's, and God knows how much it costs for them to film that sequence. Like that's usually reserved for the climax of a film, right? The same thing happens with Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's, it's considered one of the greatest openings of any Hollywood film ever made. And it's 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 incredible, right? But that would be what you would expect in the in in the cliffhanger, the climax of a movie. Uh, instead, we get it right away. Like, I mean, talk about making a great first impression. Like, imagine watching this movie in the theater for the first time way back when it was released in the eighties. I mean, the audience must have been blown away just by the opening sequence alone. Well, and Indiana Jones is such a cool character. Um... Now, were you guys watching, I had written this series a while back on character introductions, and I did one on Indiana Jones from Raiders of the Lost Ark, because I still think it's a weird character introduction, that he comes off more like a villain than like a hero. Did you guys get that sense at all? I, every time I watch it, I can't help but thinking, he's the bad guy. That was another reason I kept thinking of Bond, because I feel like whenever, especially whenever there's a new Bond actor, like there's always that that sort of early sequence in the Bond film where they're I feel like that they they kind of toy with okay, well, how bad will like how uh, how um, how unethical or how immoral how um, DGAF um, will the, will the, is this guy willing to get? You know, Bond has his license to kill. Indiana Jones also apparently has a license to kill. Um, <laughs> that was back in the good old days when you could have a kid's hero murder people. Straight up yeah, murder them. Uh, just, yeah, straight up like <laughs> set a guy on fire and shoot him in the fucking face. Um, as part the of sword your, as, guy might have just been performing a show for all we know. He never actually attacked Indy. He it's just true. Shot him. It's true. He just maybe. Hey, man, it was in self-defense, dude. He wasn't yeah. being attacked. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know. That was another reason I kept thinking of Bond because I, I feel like they're like that early, especially that first half hour is really trying to convince you like this guy will do almost anything 
to get uh, whatever it is he's after for whatever reason it is that he's so obsessed with these things. You see, but I disagree. I, I get the comparisons to James Bond because like Patrick just said, Spielberg wanted to make a James Bond film. But unlike James Bond, who Indy is often compared to, Jones, he feels like an everyman. He feels more real world. Like, yeah, he gets dirty. You know, he gets beaten up. He never actually saves the day, by the way. Like at the end of this movie, he doesn't save the day. He doesn't have his gadgets. His only gadget really is his bullwhip, right? That's his gadget. So it's, that's not much of a gadget when you compare him to James Bond. But anyways, like, again, going back to the James Bond comparisons, like I get it. Like he's tough, you know, but he doesn't like drink martinis, you know, shaken, not stirred. He doesn't like, I mean, like he's not as suave and slick and cool and sexy as, as, as James Bond. Like, again, he gets beaten and bruised in a film. And I know like James Bond does, especially in the earlier films when Sean Connery was starring as Bond, but I feel like he doesn't come across as a Bond like character, at least not to me. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, James Bond is, is, is Indiana Jones, the same fucking movie. I'm just saying structurally, um, it is extremely Bond-like to me in the way that it goes, that it, you know, this globe-trotting adventure that goes, like, oh, we're going from here to here to here, um, getting as much sort of, uh, you know, exoticized imagery on camera as you can. Uh, but then that, you're going to call every action film a James Bond action film. Like he doesn't use a, oh, he uses a gun once. But, but, but I mean, what I'm trying to say here, Simon, is he doesn't save the day at the end of the movie. No, I mean, that's all, sometimes that, that's true of Bond films as well, where if you, if, if you think about the actual plot, oh, if James Bond didn't exist, slash if Indiana Jones didn't exist, absolutely nothing uh, would happen differently in this movie. Because, uh, I mean, clearly they were just going to ice themselves anyway. Now, the difference is, of course, that James Bond is trying to save the world. Indiana Jones is not. Indiana Jones's only goal in this movie is to get the Ark, and he does accomplish that goal. So it's not like he's setting out to save the world at the beginning of the movie, whereas James Bond has a clear mission, like, oh, somebody's going to blow up New York, and so we got to stop uh, them from doing I don't, it. I don't, I don't know if that's exactly true either. I mean, it's made pretty clear, hey, this thing is an object of great power. Indiana Jones may not think so personally, but we understand via the scoring and the import that yeah, but if, as not, a if Nazis if Nazis get this this thing bad, uh, but, so but as a character, Jones doesn't he, he Jones doesn't believe that. So that isn't his goal. It's never his intent to save the world. He doesn't believe he needs to save the world. Jones's only intent. They make this very clear from the opening scene is that all he cares about more than anything else is whatever museums. he's pursuing. Yeah, the object that he wants to get. He's an obtainer of rare antiquities. Uh, that that's all he cares about. So saving the world is not on his radar whatsoever. We as an audience are told and warned that, hey, the Ark is something dangerous. Indy doesn't doesn't believe any of that. So in that sense, he's his goal isn't the same as James Bond, but they both accomplish their goals by the end of the movie. So in that sense, they are similar. They just don't have similar goals. There is a, there is a similarity there. They're not the, the same person, but they do have similar characteristics. And and like Simon says, they're, that globetrotting structure, it's not the fact that they're just going across the world it's the way that it's done, how it's just, you know, action scene to action scene to action scene. That's kind of what a James Bond movie exists for, and that's kind of what Indiana Jones exists for. So all the dialogue scenes are meant to sort of drive you towards those action scenes, which oh. was pretty new at the time. You know, uh, one aspect of the movie that I completely forgot about uh, that is like, there's a lot of things about this film that I, I think the best, the best reasons to watch really are just the the things that make this movie so specific to its era. I mean, specifically the early eighties in that time when, you know, PG 13 wasn't a thing yet. And, um, 
and uh, there's just certain certain aspects that just wouldn't be the same if it were uh, made today. I think the most obvious one, other than the um, surprisingly intense gore and violence, uh, is the fact that uh, Indy and Marion have this strange backstory where it seems like he he had sex with Marion when she was either underage or skirting being underage. I think it's uh, definitely implied that she was underage. <laughs> yeah, which is just like a, an absolutely wild character trait uh, to throw in there. For a uh, hero. That would, that, that, that would absolutely not, not fly today. Indiana Jones. Always knew someday you'd come walking back through my door. I never doubted that. Something made it inevitable. So what are you doing here in Nepal? I need one of the pieces your father collected. I learned to hate you in the last 10 years. I never meant to hurt you. I was a child. I was in love. It was wrong and you knew it. You knew what you were doing. Now I do. This is my place. Get out. Mohan, Temigru, Bolianu. I did what I did. You don't have to be happy about it, but maybe we can help each other out now. I need one of the pieces your father collected. Bronze piece about this size with a hole in it off center with a crystal. You know the one I mean? Yeah. I know it. Where's Abner? Where's Abner? Abner's dead. Marion, I'm sorry. Do you know what you did to me in my life? I can only say I'm sorry so many times. <laughs> well, say it again anyway. Sorry. Yeah, everybody's sorry. Abner was sorry for dragging me all over this earth looking for his little bits of junk. I'm sorry to still be stuck in this dive. Everybody's sorry for something. No, and there was, you know, there was, I don't know if either of you guys read this, but there were, were tapes released from the story discussions that Lawrence Cassin and George Lucas and Steven Spielberg had set around having. And, uh, so, like, Lucas was trying to throw out there that Marion was, like, 14, when, when and Indy was maybe twenty five when this relationship was happening. Oh boy! Um, Spielberg and Kasdan in that meeting, like if you read that, they're 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 not too sure about that. <laughs> they're like, uh, you know, I, that might be just a little bit too much. Like, let's maybe not go with that. <laughs> I, so, I, I I like that. I I, I like that uh, Indiana Jones is just like a a very slight like is a slight you know script revision away from being like the world's most celebrated pedophile. <laughs> 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 no, it is odd, and there's there's enough reference to it to, to it is referenced several times. Yeah, yeah. So, and she clearly like she talks about him ruining her life, and I, you don't get the sense that it was just some sort of teenage drama or something. No, like it seems that. like it was really a big deal. Yeah, like they moved to Nepal because of it almost. <laughs> like, and her dad hated him, and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah, she she seems to be an alcoholic now. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's, there's there's problems. There's a lot happening, but I mean, the movie never takes any of this seriously. So, like, you no. know, it's it's not it's not worth dwelling on. It's just I found it interesting as as a time capsule. Like, this is really the last time you'd be able to throw in a uh, a plot beat like that. But what that that kind of makes that character interesting and possibly grounds him even more in the world that he's in this 1930s like everything's sort of still unexplored and we aren't quite civilized and there's you know there's nazis running around before they you know before world war ii and there's they're digging up like you can just dig anywhere go anywhere in the jungle in the deserts and you know it, it kind of gives this character some 
if he trades so that he's not just Superman and, and squeaky clean. Yeah. I, I just want to say that I think one of the reasons why the first movie is so much better than the sequels is because of Karen Allen and her character and her performance. I think that she has great mm-hmm. chemistry with Harrison Ford, but I just love their Bogart vocal sort of like dynamic, their, their the, the relationship that these two have. Um, like she's not really a damsel in distress yet. She is because I think she can throw a harder punch than Indiana Jones can. I mean, the punch that she, that she lands on Indy, like I was like, holy shit, man, <laughs> that was a real hard punch, but I love her introduction. It's one of my favorite scenes in the film when she's at the bar, she out drinks the older man and then everyone leaves the bar. She's cleaning up and then Indy shows up. And when he arrives, you just see his shadow on the wall, right? He's like a menacing figure. Like there is this dark past. And this is the first time he meets her in God knows how long. And that again, the way Spielberg places a camera to use the silhouettes and shadows, the way the image will tell the story more than the actual dialogue. Uh, but then the chemistry between those two, it's amazing. And I just think that when it comes to like leading women in film, like everyone always thinks of like Ripley from Alien and um, what's her face from Terminator. Right. But I was like, how come no one ever brings her up in conversation? Cause she's like, to- she's like a total badass for a good chunk of the movie. Like, yes, at one point she gets kidnapped and she's putting this white sort of like wedding dress, but she's still, a, she's still a badass. Like I just love, love her performance in and her character in this film. Well, you can get captured, but it's one thing, like, she tries to, to escape. She's not just a passive, you know, sitting there. That's what makes her not a damsel in distress. She, she, Indy gets into problems, too, that he has to get out of. So she also gets into problems. And keep in mind, Indy, Indiana Jones does not save her from being kidnapped. In fact, he does, he does something extremely risky, which is let her stay with these guys that could execute her at any moment. So that he can get the arc, just once again proving that what he really cares about is the object, not anybody, any of the people around him, really. It, it, it's worth mentioning also that Marion personally murders like 30 Nazis. Oh, yeah. I, she grabs the machine gun on top of the plane. Uh, yeah. She, there's, there's all sorts of stuff going on there. So, no, she's, so she's actively, I, I wouldn't call her a damsel in distress at all because she's not looking to be saved she's out there doing her own thing. She gets into trouble and has to get herself out. Indy gets into trouble and has to get himself out. They're just kind of a perfect fit for each other, despite their weird their weird background. Before Tarantino ever burned alive like 100 Nazis at the end of his film, Spielberg did it first like 30 years earlier. Well, Douglas Slocum, who is the cinematographer, I believe I, – I, I looked this up at one point, and I, I did put it in my uh, – I had an article about the five, you know, cinematographers or whatever that I talk about when I'm drunk at a party. And uh, Douglas, <laughs> Douglas Slocum is one of them. I believe he survived a concentration camp. I know he escaped the Nazis, so it's kind of like it must have been a blast for him to then shoot a movie where he gets to kill a bunch of a bunch of Nazis. Yeah, so I have an entire uh, paragraph of notes here about Douglas Slocum. I think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm not is sure. Okay. This dude is amazing. So, I mean, going back to the look of the film, I don't remember ever watching a Hollywood blockbuster. Like, yes, I've seen David Lean films, right? We can make the comparisons to a David Lean film in terms of like the way he's shot and the way he uses the sun and his use of shadows and light. But man, the cinematography in this movie is incredible. 
And you can actually read the original interview with Steven Spielberg way back when the movie was released on American Cinematographer Magazine, which is now online. It's amazing. I highly recommend everybody read it. But just a few quotes I dug up from the interview. He talks about the cinematographer, Dougie. Dougie is more than any cameraman I've worked with. He uses the sun as a key arc light and lets essentially everything follow its route. The photographic style of this movie happened by itself through an interesting compromise between what Dougie loves and what I love to do. We came halfway and we found what will now be hopefully the continuing style of the Raider saga. The following two films, I don't think, look at all like this film. They don't, and I don't think that any of Spielberg's other films look like this film, which is a shame because I actually think this is the best looking of the movies. Um, but you know, it is a beautiful looking film. It, it really I mean, is. It, it, it's... Do you know? Do you know? You, you know the the shot where it's 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 a camera showing Indy far away in the distance, and he's standing over like a hill, um, over like a, a sand hill. Like I'm not entirely sure what you would call it in the, de- in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. And I know the shot. I, like, I already know the shot you're talking about with the sun setting in the background. Yeah. With the sun setting in the background, it's, it's like, it looks like a David lean film. Yeah. Like if you were to, if you were to take that screenshot and show it to someone, even if they're a movie buff, they would be forgiven to saying it's like Lawrence of Arabia. Well, and, Spielberg, and not realizing it's Indiana Jones. Spielberg's in quota is saying that he watches Lawrence of Arabia before he shoots every movie. So, Oh, not, okay. not terribly surprising that he uh, I think he said he watches Lawrence of Arabia and the searchers before he shoots every movie. So, yeah, that he's taken some influence from David Lean films makes a lot of sense. And Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, it's it's the subject matter that works perfectly for that sort of style. Not every Spielberg movie. Like, you're not going to shoot Minority Report like a David Lean movie. No, 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 no. Um, just a few a few things that I've heard throughout the years um, that I found kind of mind blowing. Um, so, number one. Raiders of the Lost Ark is the worst of the trilogy. Sure. I don't understand that. Uh, number two, <laughs> Tom Selleck would have been a better Indiana Jones. He was a better casting oh, choice. I, we need I've to heard just, that too, by the way. We need to just briefly mention, like, it was so close to being Tom Selleck. Have you seen High Road to China? No. Okay, well, trust me, he's terrible. If, if Tom Selleck could have gotten out of Magnum P.I., he was... He, then the job was it his. would have been his yeah i know but there's no way that you can say that he's he would have been a better choice after watching high road to china like i'm sorry like there's no way and so or the, quigley and the, down under <laughs> yeah and i like romancing a stone but i've heard people say that romancing a stone is a better film than raiders of the lost ark that's it i just wanted to like vent let it out there i don't know to to, to my mind like tom Selleck in in indiana jones is sort of like um what does it remind me of it reminds me of um Eric Stoltz in uh, in, Back in, in Back to the Future. Like, it's just wrong. It's just not... I don't even, like... I, I'm not, like, wowed by Harrison Ford in this movie. Like, he kind of just... He kind of just, you know, coasts on the stuff that he always does, which is fine. He's good at it. That's what movie stars do. Um, but it's, like, thinking about Tom Selleck in that role is fucking impossible. It's... The, the role just now seems defined by what we know of as Harrison Ford acting, right? Because when you look at Harrison Ford's early stuff, he was trying to do other things. I think Indiana, Raiders of the Lost Ark defined what we think of Harrison Ford. Yeah, th- this really invented the sort of... Um, and I don't mean this as, as as an insult. I mean it as a compliment. I feel like this movie it like really solidified the kind of half-assed... Uh, the half-assed nature of Harrison Ford's star performances where you kind of... 
get the feeling like sometimes he's in character and sometimes he's kind of just um, like doing his persona or his uh, his shtick of being kind of over it um, in a way that like in a way that is sort of vaguely in character and just kind of rolls with that. I, I feel like that's sort of the that's sort of, that's sort of the the template for a lot of future uh, Harrison Ford blockbuster performances. But I mean, it works here. Yeah, his blockbuster performances were never like it's hard. He's to not. Think. He's Maybe not really like, a performer. He's he's a guy with a with with who has a certain affect on screen, and he just kind of sticks to it. Some sometimes I would say he's like I I think he's absolutely fantastic on the Mosquito Coast, and I think that's very different. That's a different performance than what we get from the usual Harrison Ford. And Witness, I think, is a subtler like shade of Harrison Ford, but in in done very very skillfully. But of course, he had a great director to bring that out of yeah. him. But uh, who's, you, who's very focused on the actors as opposed to the blockbusters, which are, yeah. you know, he doesn't but, but I think in general, we can kind of agree, you don't get Harrison Ford if you want someone who's going to emote. Like, no. That's really not what you go to, to Harrison Ford for. You go to him for a, uh, a, a stoic, kind of older school form of, of masculine hero um, with sort of an ambiguous level of, uh, with sort of an ambiguous moral compass. Yes. To a certain yep. extent, until, of course, he's finally always revealed to have a heart of gold. I guess, but the thing is, I kind of feel like the movie gods were looking over Spielberg's shoulder to not have Tom Selleck cast in this movie, because I think Tom Selleck like, would have been terrible, would have been a completely different film. I don't know if we would have the franchise the way we have it today. I don't know if it would have been as, as much of a success. I think the casting of Harrison Ford helped shape and form the character, because Lucas and Spielberg weren't in an agreement of what the character should be. You know, I think Spielberg wanted him to be a drunk and alcoholic, have a really dark past. He wanted more of a film noir character, like a Humphrey Bogart. Lucas wanted someone completely different. And I think Harrison Ford really helped shape the character. Like when I talked about the scene of wh in which uh, Indy decides to just shoot the guy instead of having like a hand-to-hand -hand combat brawl with him, right? The guy, the, the Arab assassin with the huge blade. The, like, you know, if you if you read interviews or you listen to interviews of the cast and crew, no one can agree on whose idea it was to just try to to change that scene. Right. It was mine. A lot of people seem to think it was Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford totally reshaped what Indy is like his character. So I think it's kind of like a blessing. Oh, I mean, yeah. there's no no. Qu I mean, I, I to my mind, it's a one movie franchise. If, uh, if Tom Selleck is, is Indiana Jones. Yeah, and maybe it's successful, but it's not nearly. Harrison Ford is, or Indiana no. Jones is Harrison Ford. I mean, there, there is. It's going to be really hard for Disney to carry this out, and there's, there's a reason why they, they, they haven't made. Disney has not taken this incredible property that they have and made a new one yet. I, it is difficult. It's not like with Star Wars. Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones, so how do you replace that? I think he's perfect for the role. Like I think he is Indiana Jones, and I can't think of anyone else being Indy looking back and realizing that Harrison Ford actually performed his own stunts in the movie. I mean, yeah, when when you have the the car chase sequence, Spielberg had to hire a second unit director, which by the way is the first time he used a second unit director. But but both the stuntman and Ford had to do it. It's just that when For Harrison Ford did the stunts, the truck was moving it it wasn't going it wasn't moving as fast. Yeah. So if you look at the film you can see that they speed up the film, yes. right? But still, Harrison Form had to perform a lot of his stunts throughout the whole entire film. So not only does he bring the personality and help shape the character, but he actually performs the stunts. By the way, that's another one of those things that makes Raiders, I, I will get into like it, its longevity and things like that, but it makes it um, 
still impressive today. And it was what makes old action movies more impressive than the loud, noisy, uh, heavily edited action movies of today. And I realize I sound like a grumpy old man when I say that, but there is the action movies have lost a lot of cleverness and a lot of the ability to impress because nobody really does stunts in the same way they did before. They don't build things around stunts. And when you're watching Raiders, there's a lot of stunt work in this movie. Yes, there are matte paintings where a jeep drives off a large cliff that isn't real, obviously. Um, but uh, the stunt work is all very impressive. And when you see Harrison Ford, and clearly he's sitting in a chair on the front of that truck as he's sort of hanging on to one of the fenders. But it doesn't matter because you get to see his face. And in that moment, it is Indiana Jones on, you know, holding on to that fender for dear life and that looks that looks exciting even even when you can tell later on how it's done it looks exciting because it's real it's actually happening on screen no computer animation no cgi magic like i'm sorry like i mean we say this every single well not every single week but every time we review an action film we said it last week for mission impossible the week before for hard-boiled these are actually stuntmen or actors performing the stunts live. And that's exciting to watch. Yeah, it always will be more. I mean, it's why you can still watch the chariot race and Ben Hur. And it's great. <laughs> I don't know what I can't watch the rest of the movie because it takes forever. But I love that chariot race. Yeah. Um, we also should just give a quick mention to John Williams because yeah. I I love love the soundtrack to this movie the raiders march is one of my favorite uh movie themes of all time yeah and themes were more common back then john williams obviously loved his themes there's this theme for everything there's the arcs theme there's marion's theme you know but he has a lot of nice pieces i had the soundtrack to this movie and i even used it in some of my high school movies Uh, i uh, particularly love the piece where indiana jones is going through the market chasing after them with the baskets i love that because it just feels sort of old-fashioned comedic thing going on there like mm-hmm. sort of madcap uh which you wouldn't expect in an indiana jones movie but it's a great piece of music i also love the the whole build-up um starting with the plane fight the fight at the 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 airfield and then carrying all through the truck chase um the whole the way that that all blends together i think is uh, fantastic it's good stuff guys um all right we should take a quick break or else I could end up talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark for the rest of my life. Uh, I've spent way too many bar nights talking about this movie, guys. I have a particular... Uh, I've got a friend out in California. He and I have probably discussed Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't, I don't know. We were the nerds at the bar talking about that while everybody else was hitting on girls. Um, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do our five questions. Here's another clip from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Dr. Jones, now you must understand that this is all strictly confidential, right? Eh? I understand. Uh, <clears throat> yesterday afternoon, our European sections intercepted a, a German communique that was sent from Cairo to Berlin. Now, to you see, Cairo, over the last two now, years, the Nazis have had teams of archaeologists running around the world looking for all kinds of religious artifacts. Hitler's a nut on the subject. He's crazy. He's obsessed with the occult. And right now, apparently, there's some kind of German archaeological dig going on in the desert outside of Cairo. Well, we've got some information here, but we can't make anything out of it, and maybe you can. Tannis Development Proceeding. Acquire headpiece, staff of Ra, Abner Ravenwood, U.S. Nazis have discovered Tannis. Just what does that mean to you, uh, Tannis? 
Well, well the city of Tannis is one of the possible resting places of the Lost Ark. The Lost Ark? Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What do you what mean, do you ten mean the Commandments? You're talking about the Ten Commandments? Yes, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount Harab and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Did you guys ever go to Sunday school? Well, I... Oh, look. The Hebrews took the broken pieces and put them in the Ark. When they settled in Canaan, they put the Ark in a place called the Temple of Solomon. In Jerusalem. Where it stayed for many years. Until all of a sudden, whoosh, is gone. Where? Well, nobody knows where or when. However, an Egyptian pharaoh... Shishak. Yes, invaded the city of Jerusalem around about 980 B.C., and he may have taken the Ark back to the city of Tanis and hidden it in a secret chamber called the Well of Souls. Secret chamber. However, about a year after the pharaoh had returned to Egypt, the city of Tanis was consumed by the desert in a sandstorm which lasted a whole year wiped clean by the wrath of God. All right, that was another clip from Raiders of the Lost Ark. We are back to our portion of the podcast where we ask our five questions. We always like to start off positive because this has been a very negative podcast so far, guys, I feel. Um, So, Rick, what is your favorite scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark? I'm going to count it as one scene, but it's the scene in which we are introduced to Marion she has a drinking competition and then we get introduced to the golden medallion necklace, whatever you want to call it. And then we get introduced to Indy reuniting with her for the first time and they reunite. And then they have a little conversation. Again, this feels like it's more than like one scene or whatever, this whole entire sequence. Um, so we get to learn about the history, their past or dark twisted past. She punches him really, really, really hard. And then he leaves, but then the Nazis show up and we have this amazing bar fight shootout. Like there's one point during the whole shootout where Marion decides to drink some vodka that's spilling on the ground in the middle of the shootout before she picks up the gun to continue to shootout. And I like how she picks up the the piece of wood that's on fire and she uses it as a weapon, hits the guy over the head. I mean, it's just like there's a touch of comedy, there's action, there's suspense. Uh, you know, we get introduced to the villain, uh, who, by the way, reminds me of the villain from Roger Rabbit also. Um, Mm. And the whole entire bar is on fire. It's just like there's so much going on. And then there's one sequence where the villain, like, I guess he like, there's like vodka or liquor that's spilt on the bar. So he lights up the bar. So you see the flame as it travels across the whole entire bar towards Indy. And Indy, like, he's about to get burnt alive, but he needs her to pass him the bottle so you can hit the guy over the head like it's just it's so good like it's such an amazing scene and and just really quickly there's there's some good use of shadows and 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 silhouettes also in the scene because you'll see uh you'll see like the shadow of a guy firing a gun but you don't actually see the guy firing a gun you just see the shadow but it's implied as to what's happening because of the shadow you know uh the, the i think this was actually another scene that uh subtly made me think of of james bond again just because of the you know, these guys all have guns. Um, and again, I'm not complaining here. I, I just think it's funny. Uh, these guys all have guns and uh, could easily just shoot these people and take the medallion once they found it. But instead, like sort of like uh, sort of like the slow laser approaching James Bond's crotch, uh, instead of just shooting them, like one of them sets the bar on fire and like the fire you know, chases up the bar. And there's like a moment of tension of will Indy get away from the fire? And t- it's like, yeah, of course. A, of course he will. And B, like, Definitely could have just shot him, but it was way more theatrical and fun to have like a, 
uh, a fl- a, you know, to have him have to like outrun a flame that's making its way across the bar, you know, like it, it really helps establish the tone. There's so many fake outs because I don't know if you remember how the scene ends, but it ends with the guy pointing the gun at Indy and the gun goes off. And so we as viewers think that he shot Indy, but then no, she's standing in the back of him, Marion's standing in the back of the guy. So it turns out that she shot the guy, even though it, it appears that he fired his gun. But no, it's a complete fake out. Well, and yeah. Harrison Ford makes that nice motion with his hands as if he believes that he even got shot and he's, he's looking for the wound. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot in this scene that's fantastic that... Uh, I was so Simon to, to your point. I watched this with my brother the other night. We were kind of making fun of a lot of the the stuff like that. But there's there's something about Raiders of the Lost Ark where it, it's the lack of logic in it does not seem to matter. This movie is all about having movie fun, and so you're right. It it looks great on film. Every, if it looks great, they're gonna go with it, and it makes enough sense that you can kind of roll with the points where, yeah, that guy could have just easily shot both of them, <laughs> but instead he decides to, he, it also says something about his character. He decides to light the bar on fire. It almost seems like he's experimenting. Like, I yeah. wonder if this will work. The look on his face suggests he's not really thinking in a logical way anyway. But one of the things that I love about the scene that it illustrates is how uh, it, it not only builds characters, but it also is important to the story. And a lot of action movies nowadays just exist to have action this one is important to the story and it ends with that guy um burning the headpiece of the staff of Ra into his hand and that's an important part of the story later on so there's there's all sorts of little things that that take place in this this scene that demonstrates first of all it, it sets marion up perfectly i mean i love the whole air mac and you know, nobody tells me what to do at my place. When she blows smoke in his face and there's just a little subtle coughing there that goes on, she's kind of asserting who her character is aside from Indiana Jones, her relationship to Indiana Jones. And that's great. We get to see this moment where she's not with him and how does she handle these situations herself. That's going to set up what happens later on and her ability to take care of herself later on as well. Yeah, that entire scene sets up the future of the film. Uh, I don't remember the terminology in terms of like film talk, but it's like the little breadcrumbs, right? Like even the fact that she's out drinking the man later that sh- that happens again when she tries to out drink Belloc. Uh, what's his face? Belloc, yeah, yeah, she tries. She tries to out drink him, right? So there's all of these little reoccurrences, and it all stems from that scene. Mm-hmm. So it's a great scene, um, Simon. What is your favorite scene? I'm going to keep this really short because we just all keep talking. Um, <laughs> uh, melting Nazi skulls. That's all. I'm going to. I'm just going to go with that. Melting Nazi skulls right at the end. Good. Good old. Good old practical melting skulls. You got to love it. It's a great cleanup. Yeah, but I like that scene because of what I said earlier on in the podcast. Because Indiana Jones doesn't save the day. Mm-hmm. like he's tied up she's tied up no. he doesn't save the day I, he saves his own ass i mean it's literally cold. it's it's pr- as close to a literal deus ex machina as you can kind of get <laughs> yeah. um like literally like the force of, of i guess you could call it the abrahamic god or whatever comes in and, and kills all the nazis unties their bonds leaves them uh leaves them totally unscathed but only because they don't look right because yes. you're not supposed to be just able to don't see look. something just don't and, look and that's a common theme in religion right where your eyes yeah. cannot perceive that goes in greek mythology it's all all world religions have moments where the where human characters are not meant to perceive the gods in all of their glory and it can fry them 
if if they do. So it it still contains like that element. It it, it it's a great little cleanup. It, it is definitely a Deus Ex Machina, but in the I mean, like almost of- al- almost by like I mean literally god coming out to influence the i mean it's almost as literal as that gets that, other that than is like what happens yeah yeah to me it looks like a bunch of specters a bunch of ghosts from the past it, it, again going back to the whole idea of this being a supernatural thriller and like looking at specific scenes that look like they came out were lifted from horror films that scene the the ghostly figures that are that are flying around they don't look religious they just i don't know what they look like they don't look like religious though religious figures so to me i always uh perceive them as angels of death like it, the 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 woman the ghostly woman comes out at the beginning and it's supposed to be you know and he and belloc says oh it's it's beautiful and i always perceive that as kind of like this this is this is basically the you know god sending his art is his angels to 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 wipe things up and they turn very quickly from beautiful to horrifying. <laughs> Everyone's beautiful, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's a great scene. I, and again, I love John Williams' score throughout that entire thing because the arc theme is just, it's a, it's a great mystical theme, you know. And the arc just, just sits there. It just does its thing. Um, yeah, good cleanup. Good cleanup at the end. That was actually going to be the original end of the movie and they were never going to have that sort of well, they were going to have the, the scene with the two million t- military intelligence guys, but they never were going to have the uh, the ending with him and Marion. That was reshot months later. Uh, all right, so my favorite scene, I'll keep this one very short because it is very, very short. Actually, Rick Rick picked my favorite scene, so I'm going to have to go with a secondary one. But I always loved the, the scene where he actually discovers the location of the Ark, the map room. Mm. And it's very quick. It's just a very quick little sequence, but there's very few words to it. Again, love John Williams' score, but love the way that whole scene is put together and photographed. That's a scene where, if you know, if I were in the mood where I want to just think about editing and and how to shoot something that's not inherently interesting, which is just a guy standing there with a stick and maybe he's like dusting some sand off some stuff. There's not really a lot going on there, action going on there that's that's interesting in and of itself. But Spielberg finds a way to make it very interesting. Uh, and to look gorgeous. Um, and again, John Williams helps a lot with that as well. So wait, no one's picking the first 12 minutes of the film, which is called the greatest opening sequence in all of action film history. The jungle, the temple, the traps, the boulder, the poison arrows, the hidden pits, the tarantulas, and Alfred Molina. Yeah, but it's got zero melting Nazi skulls, man. That's why it didn't get paid. If it had, if it had some more melting Nazi skulls, maybe it would have been in there. And it doesn't have sunlight coming through. Well, it does have a shaft that's a booby trap. <laughs> but again, the coolest booby traps that could never be made exist in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Alfred Molina and his like racially ambiguous, um, and his racially American ambiguous guy. character, South American character. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, lo- uh, love me some Alfred Molina. Yeah, that was his first movie, I believe. Was it uh, the the biggest yeah. mystery? Yeah, it was his first movie. The biggest mystery of the movie is who is the pilot that drives the plane in the opening sequence. Like, who is that guy? How did he get the role? Nobody knows who he Fred is. Fred Sorensen. I, I looked him up. It's his only IMDb credit. Nice. I know. How do you get a part in a Spielberg movie in one of the greatest opening sequences of all time, and then never reappear in a film or any movie afterwards? Uh, they saw Fred, he was, he was on vacation with his family in Hawaii and he was actually fishing and they were like, Hey, look, we just got, we just needed to do this one thing. 
and maybe you'll have a line or two. And he was there like, there you yeah, go. We haven't even mentioned the fucking monkey, uh, which is like another the, I mean, the I, traitor the, monkey, the, 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 the traitor monkey who has his whole entire little own arc to himself. Yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> uh, that we're, uh, How often do you see an animal get a comeuppance? By the way, hold on a second. The monkey's not a traitor yes, at all. The monkey, no, the monkey's loyal to his master. She is foolish enough to believe that the monkey's all of a sudden her property because that type of person she is. You, no, can, you can't own a monkey, it, dude. The monkey hangs out with them because he's a mole. He's undercover. He's faking it. Also, the monkey is a Nazi. Let's not forget the. Let's not forget the Heil Hitler motion that the, uh, the the monkey makes. It's a Nazi monkey. But look, you're right. He's a double agent, but he's loyal to his master. The poor monkey ends up dying because someone poisons his food. <laughs> the monkey deserves what he gets. And you don't see that very often in movies where an animal gets a comeuppance. Yeah, it's true. Uh, there's nobody mourning that monkey's death. At least there shouldn't be. because that No, because was- he was a fucking Nazi. He was a bastard. Look, look, you bring in the monkey, people complain. You bring in the cast from the Goonies, people complain. What do you want? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is where I'm very curious to hear the two answers of your guys on this one, because I I don't know how I'm going to answer this one. I know I've said that before. But uh, all right. If there was one thing, one thing that you could fix about Raiders of the Lost Ark or change, I should say, what would it be, Simon? Uh, you're, I'm going to take so much shit for this. I'm sorry, but it, it's true. It to you. Uh, the sequence um, on the on the wing of the plane with uh, where Indy's fighting off a couple of dudes, including that really big guy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of great stuff in that sequence, but I just find it goes on and on and on. It's just it's like a multi stage. It's like a multi stage video game boss battle with like complicate like with like you know it's got like. It's sort of like you're watching a co-op video game where, like, Marion has little jobs she has to do, and and he's got things that he has to do, you know, before he can die. And it just—I don't know. It's—it's it's all good stuff. I just found, like, in general, I sort of find as the movie goes on, the pacing does get a little rangier, uh, and I think it's because of sequences like that where Spielberg just has absolutely no restraint. You know what's funny is, uh, in a video game, I would be right there with you. I'd be—I'm su- super annoyed by boss battles, especially the longer they go on. I like that scene. I, I I guess I just for some reason I, again I like the staging of that scene. I like how it tells its own little story. How it goes from this simple little fist fight all the way through to hey, there's a gas truck that's leaking fuel, and we've just blown up this other truck that set everything on fire, and now the fire is leaking towards us, and Marion's trapped in the the plane, and I've got this big yeah like 1930s wrestler guy to contend with, like bare knuckle boxer. Um, I love the way it just escalates throughout that whole thing. But I can see, I, I, at least I see your point. The video game analogy is a great one. Well, I just, you know, again, it's not none of it's bad stuff. I just felt like you, you, you could lose a few elements of that scene and like keep what's good about it without, uh, without uh, like, I, there's not much I'd miss. Um, and, right. I, and actually, to be honest, now that you've mentioned that the, um, that the climax was originally the final scene, I actually would have been fine with that. I don't know that anything afterwards is really adds all that much. We would have not gotten our top men line, which is a, a great, you know, a great line for memes and for just for like paranoia about the government. Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> but uh, the stuff with Marion on the steps, that was that was George Lucas's wife who said, hey, what the hell happened to Marion? Like you're ending the scene with Indian and... You know Marcus Brody in, in talking with the government guys, and then the box goes into the 
the warehouse. Where's Marion and all this? <laughs> and Spielberg, I, apparently they just looked at each other and like, oops, forgot. Um, Rick, if there's one thing you could change, what would it be? What would I change? I wouldn't change anything. I'm with not you on that one thing, not one frame, not one second. I would not change anything about this film. Yeah, it's hard for me to to think about anything that I could subtract or um, add that would help. I don't know. Certainly not add. If anything, I think no, it's a subtraction. It, it comes in an hour and 55 minutes. I don't think you want it any longer than that. It's a great length for this sort of thing. Um, you know, you you could have even gone a little bit shorter, but I think it's fine. I, I don't I don't have a problem with the length of this movie. It kind of does breeze by just because there's so much action. All right, we got to move on, though, pretty quick. So um, MVP, Rick, who is your MVP of this movie? A lot of choices here. Do you give it to the screenplay writer who also wrote some of the best screenplays at the time, including Empire Strikes Back? I don't know. Do you give it to George Lucas because it was technically his idea? No. Do you give it to Steven Spielberg because he's the director? Do you give it to Harrison Ford because, as we spoke about earlier on, he pretty much shaped and formed the character of Indy, who's now so iconic and kind of makes the movie work? Do you give it to Karen Allen, who I think is the secret weapon of the film? She brings the film to life and she brings Indy to life and makes him more exciting and makes the movie more exciting. And she's clearly the best female character in the whole entire franchise. Do you give it to the cinematographer, Douglas Slocomb? Again, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Man, Patrick, do I have to choose one person? Because if I choose one person, I'm going to have to choose the one, the only, Steven Spielberg. I'm a huge fan of Spielberg. I think he's like one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, if not the greatest. Um, His movies are incredible. He's an incredible filmmaker. Everything about the film just feels perfect i can't look at any specific shot i'm talking about the actual shots i'm like you know yes the special effects could be a little suspect towards the end of the film uh, but it's it's all about the camera work and the camera shots and the editing and the pacing and the way it just flows i mean i think this movie is like two hours long an hour 55 minutes long but it it goes by so quick that every time it ends i want to rewatch it again like because it's so fun to watch um I don't know, man. I got, I got to go with Spielberg on this. But I really do think that this is a movie which features a cast and crew of really extremely talented people. And I really do think that if you remove one of these people, like if you remove Karen Allen, if you, if you remove Harrison Ford, or God forbid, replace him with Tom Selleck, if you choose another cinematographer, the movie would not be even close to being as good as it is. No, and I mean, the whole, th- look, MVP is all about the most valuable player, but it doesn't mean that they're the only one, right? Like, um, a championship team, everybody's got everybody's to contribute. Go sports. Right, Simon? Um, <laughs> I, I'm with you on Spielberg, because watching this movie, that is, I care about the, the cinematic elements the most. Look, Harrison Ford, he is iconic, as, and, and you needed him. There's no question. But you could have had Harrison Ford star in this movie with that exact same costume, playing that exact same character. But it would not have been the movie wouldn't have been as iconic if Spielberg didn't shoot him in iconic ways. Uh, you know, when he first approaches the idol and he does that, you know, the way the camera pushes in on him uh, as he's sort of rubbing his chin, trying to figure out how much the thing weighs. These are iconic shots. You know, like you mentioned, the shadows uh, the, that makes him mysterious. The when he's standing on the sand dune uh, at 
at sunset, you know, as the guys are digging out the, the well of the souls, like the, stuff like that. Spielberg shoots him in a way that makes him larger than life and iconic. Dude, I've said this, I've said this so many times in the podcast. A film should be able to operate without the music, without the sound, like like you know, press mute. You could still watch the movie and understand what's going on, understand a story, and it's all about staging. Some that is why yeah. this. I mean, to some degree, I mean, clear, but I mean, you know, what I'm trying to say, yeah. right? Like, not, it's not for every movie, but there are movies like this. Yes. Adventure films, action films, horror films, mm-hmm. like when you have a sequence of motion, like an action sequence or a, a sequence that's building suspense, you should be able to take off the sound and still enjoy that scene. Simon, you got to weigh in on this. Who's your MVP? I'm tempted to give it to Karen Allen only because uh, I'd actually forgotten how good she is in this because she's really not good in the fourth movie, which was the one I'd saw, I'd seen more recently. And I think it kind of tainted my memory of her performance here, but that's sure. wrong because she's very good here. And uh, it's a, sort of unfortunate what happens later. Everything about the fourth movie was unfortunate what they did with a lot of these characters. Um, but, you know, <laughs> that's why Spielberg really wanted to make a fifth one. And in his words, to atone for the fourth one, he did not like ending it that way. Uh, I And we know who probably got his way on the fourth movie more than he should have. And, or George Lucas. Um, yeah, so, all right. I think there's any one of those choices is valid. I, I think they could all be easily MVPs. There's a case we made for all of them. But yeah, so I, I, for me, I'm going to go with Spielberg. Um, all right. Really? You're not picking Ronald Lacey? I love Ronald Lacey. He was one of my favorite movie villains when I was a kid. We used to call him the worm. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's great. I mean, uh, it's a it's a good thing that we all agree Nazis are like subhuman scum because his character is like he's it. If it were possible to make like, like an offensive stereotype of a Nazi, it'd be him. Like he's like the Naziest Nazi to ever be a Nazi. He really is. He really is. I can't tell you how many times I quoted him as a kid. Like my brothers and I would just to be when we were trying to be evil to each other. He was the personification of evil movie character to, to us. The uh, whole yes, I know you will. We we always use that. I also uh, kept thinking about uh, Dark City when I was when I was watching his character again. He kind of seemed like he had he had kind of that energy. Uh, sure. To, yeah. He would have fit uh, into that environment. Absolutely. <laughs> um. All right, so Howard Hawks test. Do we really need to go through this one? Is anybody going to have any disagreements? Is this something that we need to really discuss? Three great scenes and no bad ones. I don't think this movie has a bad scene. Yeah, Simon, do you think it has one? No, I mean, yeah, there's the whole question of what I personally uh, count among my favorite films. Probably not, but I mean, there's doesn't seem like there's not there's not a ton of fat. Or like stuff to, that you want to. Here's here's my question for you though: Does it actually pass the Howard Hawks test? Because I mean, we talk about this each and every single week, but for me, it's not about the scene just being great. It's got to be sort of like iconic for at least movie buffs, like people who love the movie. I mean, there's yeah. shitloads of iconic images. The, in the film. Exactly, it's like the, I mean, three. It has more than three iconic yeah. scenes in it. Um, the, but the two the two best scenes, I think, is the the well for me, it's the opening. And the, with the boulder, and it's the scene that I spoke about earlier—the actual bar sequence. I think that I, I think what's interesting about Raiders of the Lost Ark is, as good as the movie is from start to finish, I think the first, say, forty-five minutes of the movie is the best portion of the film. 
I agree with that. I, I do think that when it, when it gets to that last act and you're kind of like Marion and, uh, you know, Marion and, uh, and Indy kind of going from scrape to scrape to scrape uh, in a boat and then in, you know, this, this vehicle and that vehicle and uh, captured by these people or, or this set of people, um, it, it's definitely not like the material isn't as strong or exciting as the first 45, you, I think. You, you know, Patrick, if there's something that would change, it's not really change. It's, it's, it's adding to the movie. I would add more of uh, John Rice Davies because I really do like him in some. Sala was never supposed to be a, a, a massive character. He's great in this movie, but he's, he's not supposed, he's just supposed to be one of those guys that like James Bond would meet some dude that would help him along the way. Maybe some other agent that's out in the field, like Felix Leiter or something. They're not supposed to be a major player in the game. They're just supposed to be there to occasionally assist. I, it wasn't until later, obviously, Last Crusade, they made Sala a bigger character because then they, they could have the little group, the trio of, you know, India's dad and, and Sala. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know that that I don't know that that would have made this movie better because it's supposed to be about Indiana Jones. And if you have more Sala, then Indy's not doing as many things on his own. Uh, but I do agree with you guys. Like, the last, I would say... I would go further than the first 45 minutes. I would go all the way up until the end of the truck chase. Once they get out of the, the boat, that sort of thing slow down for me a little bit. It just sort of goes yeah, back and forth. There's fun stuff on there, but it doesn't work as well. And then I do, but it has a killer ending. So that wraps it up really well. Doesn't Sala return in the last crusade? Yeah. And Karen Allen returns in the last movie, the yeah. fourth film. She returns in Kingdom of the. I I don't know if Marion really returns because I don't no, know. No, yeah. Whoever, whoever, whoever that Alex, character is is not Marion. Yeah, does not understand. <laughs> she should have punched him right away just to mirror what she did in Raiders. But no, they they wimped out. Yeah, that that was no good. Um, I, I've only watched the movie one time, and I swear to God, I know we reviewed it way back on the podcast, but I do not remember much about the movie. I, I remember the monkeys and aliens towards the end, and that's it. Yeah, like I said, most people remember the train wreck of a second half, which is where Marion comes in. The The first half is a passable Indiana Jones movie. Uh, it's unfortunate that Shia LaBeouf's character is, is terrible, and he's not good as that character. But as far as the actual Indiana Jones-ish stuff that goes on, there's a little I, bit of fun to be had in the first I do half. like, I like that uh, Spielberg is making uh, a fifth one to atone for the last one. And that presumably means that like Shia LaBeouf just won't be in it and there'll be no mention of this character, which is just extremely funny to me. Because that makes oh, him yeah. just... He's just such a poochy ass character, but sorry, we're we're talking about a different movie now. So he's yeah. gone. Well, and also Spielberg, I think that he's he dropped out of that movie. He's no longer. He wanted to make a fifth one, but it couldn't come together in time. And so now, I believe, um, oh my gosh, who's the director of Copland, Logan? Uh, James Mangold. Mangold, yeah, Mangold is now attached to direct the fifth one. Um, so I I don't like the fifth question we normally ask in this in this podcast. I don't think it would really makes sense for Raiders of the Lost Ark. So can we switch it? Can we ask what is your favorite line or favorite camera shot? Normally we ask if the movie stands the test of time, but I think Raiders of the Lost Ark clearly stands the test of time. And, and, and it's, you know, it's a property that's now owned by Disney so that you, you know that they will keep it alive because they didn't, you know, I know that they didn't buy out Lucasfilm for nothing and obviously it was mostly for Star Wars. Yeah. But they're still going to do something with Indiana Jones. I mean, and, by uh, keep it alive, you mean flog until it's absolutely <laughs> yeah, burger. Well, they'll be they'll be drawing blood on it till it's uh, the do yeah. donor becomes too anemic, um, and then they'll whatever they'll just dump you, them in a. You know, if they ever grave. decide 
if they ever decide to make another one after uh, after Harrison Ford is just officially too old to even get up, uh, I think that Harrison Ford would be, would be one of the easiest actors to recreate with uh, with computer digitally. With, with digitally. Like I don't think it's that hard to capture what Harrison Ford does uh, with <laughs> with uh, with polygons. I think I think it, you know the, I think it could be done. <laughs> Uh, all right, so yeah, I think we, we can safely say Indiana Jones will live on. Raiders of the Lost Ark will live on. I think its reputation as the the best in the series. Obviously, people have their favorites, and Temple of Doom has risen in my eyes over the years. Uh, it used to be my least favorite. It's it's gained some traction. It's now overcome Last Crusade for me. Um, but all right, Rick, one line. Line or camera shot? I'm going to cheat and do both. So my favorite camera shot. I mentioned it earlier. It's when someone whips out a gun during a bar fight and he shoots someone, but you see the other guy get shot via the shadow. I thought that was brilliant. And my favorite line of dialogue apparently was improvised by the one and only Harrison Ford. Marion says, you're not the man I knew 10 years ago. Indiana replies, it's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. Um, both good ones. Simon, what about you? Oh, I see. Especially this since is... you're not a huge fan, necessarily a huge fan of this. What is one line that you always remember or one shot? Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I ended up getting ambushed by this question. It was a surprise question. I don't like surprise questions. I don't <laughs> like surprises. <sighs> to quote Indy, I don't know, Simon. I'm just making this up as I go. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, you, 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 yeah, Patrick, you go next. I'll, I need to think about it a little longer. All right. I could probably recite this movie. I own the script of this movie. I've watched it easily over a hundred times, possibly embarrassingly, maybe more than that. Um, so the entire movie is quotable to me. <laughs> but I guess if I had to go with one, I love Marion's reactions in that bar scene. We're going back to that bar scene. As far as lines go, I guess I, uh, <laughs> I love Air Mac for some reason. I love mm-hmm. the, how she has absolutely zero respect for these guys who who walk in, um, I I love everything about the way that she reacts to them when they say like, "Oh, surely your your friend Doctor Jones told you that other parties would be interested." She's got a cigarette hanging out of her mouth, and she says, "Must have slipped my mind," in like mm. <laughs> the most sarcastic way imaginable. Her every reaction, but I always loved the Air Mac because I guess I wasn't really expecting that one. Um, yeah. The 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 use of like his proper German you know, honorific. And then also the word Mac, like total 1930s gangster. <laughs> Listen, Mac. Uh, I don't know that I've, I've always loved that. It's always stuck out to me. And I love the way that she says it. Her delivery of some of her lines of dialogue are just priceless. Priceless. I, uh, I'm, 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 I figured out what I'm going to go with. Um, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, the, it's not so much a shot or a line. It's just a moment. Um, when, uh, when Indy is uh, all broken up because he's he thinks Marion is dead, and he ends up uh, having a, a showdown with uh, with Be- with is it with Belloc? Belloc, yeah, yeah. Um, and really, it seems like he's just completely over the edge, like he's ready to just shoot him in the fucking face. Uh, but instead, just a bunch of kids are sent in by by John Reese Davies, and everything's fine. And the reason I'm singling that out is because that's a great strategy to get out of almost anything, uh, and. I'm I'm just happy to learn a new tactic to get me out of scrapes. Like I just I, I know that whatever's happening, no matter how tense and scary it is, if I can get someone to send in a gaggle of children, it'll be fine. You're saved. It was a brilliant move by Sala, and that that demonstrates how smart he is as a character. Like 
knowing to send in a bunch of kids there. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a great, great little scene. The great Paul Freeman, who played Bellic, by the way, we should mention, he was so committed. Do you guys, did you guys see the shot where he's delivering his lines and the fly crawls in his mouth? And he continues to deliver his lines without even reacting? Uh, damn, that's, that, that's boss shit, for sure. That's, that's acting, people. Um, <laughs> all right, with that, we should probably wrap things up. Guys, uh, I'm assuming, Simon, nothing has changed with you online? Nope, I'm, uh, I'm I'm nowhere. I'm no one. Yeah, me either, although I occasionally still write reviews for uh, Goomba Stomp, so uh, you can at least look me up. I've written a couple of reviews uh, within the last month or so, and I hopefully will continue to do some more. Uh, Rick, where can people find you and the podcast? Before I tell them where they can find the podcast, I just want to give a big shout-out to the dude who fights Indy next to the plane Oh yeah, and gets murdered by the, uh, the propellers. Blades, yeah. Yeah, that that dude, he doesn't get enough uh, enough credit. Um, the podcast, you can find the podcast over at sortedcinema.com. What it's true, he doesn't get enough credit. I love that guy. <laughs> he's a great he's a great henchman. He needed like a bigger mustache and then he but I love he's he's total 1930s bare knuckle boxer. It's great. I thought he would have made a great Brutus if they ever did a Popeye movie back in the day. Yes. I know they, they did later, but he looks like know. he would make us, he would be a strong man in, in an old circus. Yeah. All right. So you can find the podcast over at sortedcinema.com. You can listen to the podcast just about everywhere from iTunes to Spotify to YouTube. You name it. Once again, sortedcinema.com, Twitter, sorted cinema. It's all sorted cinema. And if you like what you hear, follow us. Uh, subscribe to our channel on YouTube and leave us a uh, rating on, I guess, iTunes. All right. With that, we'll wrap it up and we will be back next week. We'll see you then. I see your taste in France remains consistent. How odd that it should end this way for us after so many stimulating encounters. Almost regretted. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You and I are very much alike. Archaeology is our religion. Yet we have both fallen from the pure faith. Our methods have not differed as much as you pretend. I am a shadowy reflection of you. It will take only a nudge to make you like me. To push you out of the light. Now you're getting nasty. You know it's true. How nice. Look at this. It's worthless. Ten dollars from a vendor in the street. But I take it, I bury it in the sand for a thousand years, it becomes priceless. Like the ark. Men will kill for it. Men like you and me. What about your boss, Der Fuhrer? I thought he was waiting to take possession. All in good time. When I'm finished with it. Jones, do you realize what the ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. And it's within my reach.